Thanks for listening to the Starbase Indie Podcast. To find more information about our live event this November, this is check the us out of at starbaseindie.org or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I hope you enjoy you on the Starbase as much as I enjoyed recording it. So, uh, you say that you are not the most fluent Klingon speaker that you know, even though you invented the language. So talk a little bit about the difference between being a linguist and being a fluent speaker of a language. Yeah, I talked about this earlier on when I'm surprised when I say I'm not fluent in Klingon. And, and the reason is, uh, or a, a reason is, uh, that when I did it, when I first made up the language, I had no idea anybody was going to really be carrying on conversations or anything like that. So I never, I learned, I never learned it. I, I learned the, the grammar and I would, you know, look at my list of words or eventually look up the words in the dictionary. Uh, so they'd be c- correct sentences and so on and so forth. But there was no need for me to learn to speak it because there wasn't anybody to speak it to. None of the actors learned how to speak it at the time. Um, you know, the actors would learn their lines. Some of them were very, very interested in, in how the grammar worked and what the words meant and stuff like that. And some of them just wanted to learn it phonetically. But as soon as they said their line, they were done. They didn't have to think about it ever again in their whole life if they didn't want to. So th- there was no, no need to learn it. It turns out, of course, I was wrong about that assumption. Because uh, <laughs> when I wrote the book, you know, I thought people would buy it and they'd look at it and say, oh, wow, this language is a real language. Oh, look, here's the... Here's the Klingon word for shoe. And oh, look, I heard that word in the movie. Wow. And they put the book down on their coffee table and thumb through it every once in a while. And that would be the end of that is what I really, really thought. Um, and it wasn't until a number of years after the book came out, there was a second edition of the book. The original book came out in, when, right after Star Trek, well, maybe six months or something after Star Trek III did. Uh, and then there was a, a revised edition, which included vocabulary from Star Trek V and VI and, and Next Generation a little bit because it had been going already. I got a, a phone call or an email or something uh, from a guy named Lawrence Schoen, who introduced himself as the head of something called the Klingon Language Institute. <laughs> and I said, what in the world is that? You know, it's a group of people who, you know, like Klingon, and we, and we studied the language and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, Lawrence and I got together for lunch and I learned there's this organization where all kinds of people are studying the language. They've got a journal where they write scholarly articles about the language and so on and so forth. I had no idea that this was going on. Uh, but I've soon after that, you know, met with members of the Klingon Language Institute and they're now 30 years old or something. You know, and become really, really good friends with some of the, some of the members and so on. And know a whole lot more about what people are doing with Klingon than I did way back when. All this stuff happened, happened without me. So anyway, everyone was off learning the language and I, and I wasn't, and that's still pretty much the case. Yeah, Klingon has really taken off as a constructed language uh, with the, the, the Klingon Language Institute and Dr. Schoen has been to Starbase Indy and has been on the podcast. So what do you think it is about Klingon that really captured people's imagination? I think, I think what attracted people to Klingon uh, is Klingons, <laughs> right? the characters of, the, of, of Klingons in, in Star Trek, you know. It's, I think if, if I made it exactly the same language with the same, the same rules, the same sounds and everything else, 
uh, and didn't call it Klingon, or more importantly, it wasn't attached to Star Trek, I don't think, I don't think it would have caught on in, in, in the same way. It might have caught on a little bit because there's lots of, of constructed languages, lots of conlangs floating around that have, that have followings, even those not connected you know, to a movie or a, or a work of literature. Um, so you know, this language I made up might have, might have developed a following if people had heard about it, but not, certainly not in the same way. I think, I think Klingons, Klingon as a language caught on in part because Klingons as characters are so much fun. They're just, they're just you know, over the top and, and, and shout and scream and carry on and all kinds of stuff and, and have a good time with it. Uh, and you could, and, and the language lends itself to that with, with, the, with the quick sounds and the throaty noises and all that sort of thing. Another reason I think Klingon caught on, all this Klingon stuff was getting going, the Klingon language suit and everything was getting going at the same time the internet was getting going. Uh, and all this happened, you know, five, ten years before that, there would be people who were interested, and, and assuming I wrote a book, uh, there would be people who were interested but they'd be isolated. They wouldn't know about the other people who were also interested, except for one or two friends, maybe. But with the internet, people were able to find each other, you know, all over the country, all over the world, and developed a, a, a community of speakers. You know, the early days of the internet, it was in writing because the, the voice thing uh, carrying on and so on and so forth. You know, uh, people are talking to each other and, and writing and sharing and, and so in a way that I think, you know, wouldn't have happened. And it wouldn't have got going with Klingon anyway. I don't think it would have got going had the internet not been growing up at exactly the same time. One of the things that has delighted me as I've learned more about the Klingon language is the number of puns it appears to contain. So what is your favorite Klingon pun? Oh, there's no puns. Who told you that? No. <laughs> Actually, there's, 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 there's a lot of puns in Klingon. Every time a new word comes out, everyone says, all oh, right, what's the pun? What's the pun? And there's not always a pun. <laughs> Sometimes there is. Um, probably, probably my, my favorite one. Actually, I have two, but I want to tell you one. Um, and the reason I won't tell you the second one is because people haven't figured it out yet. So I don't want to give it away. But the one that people that people have figured out is the reason this is my favorite pun is, is because not only is it a pun, it, it involves it involves knowing something about the Klingon language as well. The word and it becomes the, in between the two things that you're talking about, say dogs and cats, right? In that order. In Klingon, the word that means and comes at the end. So you, you'd say dogs, cats, and, right? And the word for and is je. Yeah, means and. In one of the Next Generation episodes, Worf makes a big deal about root beer. I didn't have a word for root beer. And so I said, oh, Worf, why are you talking about root beer? Now I'm going to have to come up with a word for root beer. So I decided, okay, make up a word for root beer. And the word for root beer is spelled this way. It, has, uh, it begins with an apostrophe, which is, it counts as a, it's an apostrophe, A, W, J, E, and then another apostrophe. J-E means je, and it comes after A and W. <laughs> In Europe, it doesn't work. People don't get it. <laughs> yeah, I think it might even be a little bit of a dated pun because the 
in my head is the the jingle, but that's probably not something the younger people. That's true too. Yeah. Right. But that's the fun of puns, right? They're part of kind of a, they're always an in joke. Yeah. It, I mean, it started, uh, but the one that really started it is when we were working on the film on Star Trek Three. The Klingon ship, the bridge of the Klingon ship, is small, uh, and the 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 crew. I mean, Krug, who's the the, the bad guy, right? He's the villain. Sits in his chair, and he's got his two main helpers on either side of him. And then there's a, I don't know, eight, six or eight crewmen sitting down below. But it's the 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 set was very very small and totally enclosed. Um, and they would take out a, a piece of a piece of, of wall so they could put in the camera, but they would still enclose it with, with uh, plastic, you know, like like shower curtain plastic. So it was it was always enclosed and small and cramped, and that was intentional. They went because they wanted they wanted it to look like that because there was a popular movie at the time that was floating around a German movie called Das Boot, which means in, in German the boat. And it was about a submarine. It was about these guys on a submarine all cramped together and stuff like that. And when they were thinking about the Klingon ship for Star Trek III, they had that image in mind uh, of, of Das Boot. Uh, so the, the, you know, Klingon and Das Boot somehow, in my dictionary, a bilingual dictionary, uh, it's organized, or one way of organizing it is in columns. So on the left column is the English word on the right column is the corresponding Klingon word, or vice versa. When I was I, I was making up words for for Klingon things, one of the things that Klingons wear is boots. So I had to make up a word for boot, which is going to be dash, D-A-S. Then on the left column it says dash, and in the right column it says boot. So it says dash. That's fantastic. And now there's a bunch, as I said, now no, no, people are looking, looking for them. And if they're looking for them so much that they come up with puns that I didn't make. I mean, I didn't make <laughs> come up with connections, I guess is a better word than puns. And say, oh, here's the pun. This is this. Mark must have been thinking that. No, I wasn't. I don't know where you came up with that. But, but the good thing about the puns is if it helps you remember the vocabulary, it's great. It's a great, it's a great, you know, learning. Sure. Now, Klingons canonically have a special relationship with Shakespeare. Is that something you came up with or something the writers came up with? That's something that Nick, Nick Meyer came up with in Star Trek. Star Trek in general has a great connection with Shakespeare. I mean, going back to the original series, there's, you know, there's, there's uh, episode time titles which are quotes from Shakespeare and there's Shakespearean stuff floating around a little more and in Next Generation you know Patrick Stewart is quoting Shakespeare and so on and so on so Star Trek and Shakespeare go way back Klingons in particular is comes from Star Trek 6 in Star Trek 6 in the script the, the you know, draft one of the script there was a number of uh, lines from Shakespeare that one character or another would say uh, and over time lines you know were just taken out of the film for whatever reason and another thing that happened is all the ones that were supposed to be in Klingon either got removed or got changed to English so at the time we got going with shooting even though there's a Shakespeare Star Trek connection there was no particular Shakespeare Klingon 
connection, Klingon language connection. Until one day, I arrived on the set, and the first person I happened to see when I walked in the door was Nick Meyer, right, the director, writer. Mm -hmm. He said, I need another phrase from you in Klingon. I said, okay, what do you need? And he said, to be or not to be. And I said, okay. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> because one of the things I did in making up Klingon grammar to make it be un-English-like is say, in Klingon, there's no verb to be. It doesn't exist. There's no im, is, am, are, were. None of those exists in Klingon. And I did that on purpose to make it, again, different from English. There's a, uh, or, <laughs> and there's a not, but there's no be. So I'm not about to change that for two reasons. One is because I think that was one of the things I like about Klingon. And the other one is the Klingon dictionary says, there's no verb to be. It says that explicitly. So I'm not about to contradict myself. So I said to him, okay, mm -hmm. I'm thinking, what can I say? Instead, I said to him, what, what if it means, what if the line means to live or not to live? He said, that's fine. You know, go tell Chris. Chris is Christopher Plummer, who was the actor who was going to say that line. So I go over to Christopher Plummer, mm -hmm. and he says, I understand you have a new line to teach me. And I said, yes. He said, what is it? I said, uh, oh, oh, oh. What I, what, what I came up with was, was to live or not to live. Uh, the word for live is yin. The word for or is par. And the way to say not is bet, which you attach to a verb. So yin bet means not live. Yin is live, yin bet is not live. So live or not live. There's a number of different ways I could have done to live or not to live, but I kind of did it down and dirty. Live or not live is yin par yin bet. Live or live not. So Christopher Plummer says, all right, how do you, how do you say the line? I said, yin pa, yin bet. And he goes, yin? Yin? I said, yeah. He said, oh, no, that's too wimpy. Let's think of something else. That's not what he said. <laughs> what he said is more complicated, but I can tell you if you want. But it's not what he said, but it is what he meant. Uh, mm -hmm. And I said, oh, no. What, oh, no. Uh, what, what, what if we say, what if we say, Tach pa, tach bet? No, tach. He says, tach is good. Let's keep tach. Well, tach, up until that moment, was a suffix that meant to continue doing something. So if you say eat plus tach, that means keep on eating. You know, walk plus tach means continue walking. Uh, so I kind of promoted tach to be a verb in its own right that means to go on, to continue, to endure, something like that. So tach pach, tach bet, means to go on or not to go on, to continue or not to continue. Okay. So that's that phrase. At that point, I didn't know where it fit into the film, right? Because it wasn't, the Klingon didn't exist. That wasn't supposed to be in Klingon the day before. Well, where it showed up was in a scene where the, the Klingons, if you know Star Trek VI, and the Klingons and the, and the Enterprise crew gets together on the Enterprise for a big dinner. And the leader of the Klingon Empire, the chancellor of the Klingon Empire, says, I'd like to propose a toast to the undiscovered country. And everybody sits there with a blank expression, uh, except for Mr. Spock, who says, you know, Hamlet, Act 3, Scene 1, or I don't know if I got the numbers right, but something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, because it's a line, the undiscovered country is a line from, from the 
the soliloquy, the to be or not to be soliloquy in Hamlet. Uh, and then the leader of the empire says, you know, you, you can't really appreciate Shakespeare until you've read him in the original Klingon. Right, right, yeah. And then, and then, and then Christopher Plummer says, tach, 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 okay, that's how the scene works. As filmed, actually, it was different. The, it, things were in a different order, but that's, that's the way it, it ended up. Uh, so that was, that was, you know, in there as, as kind of a joke that Klingon was originally, or Shakespeare was originally written in Klingon. But the members of the Klingon Language Institute, which by the time of Star Trek VI, you know, they're, they're, they're going at great speed, uh, said, well, if the works of Shakespeare were originally written in Klingon, we owe it to the, to the galaxy, not to translate, but to restore the works of Shakespeare back to the original Klingon. And they started with Hamlet because they had a head start. They already had to be or not to be, right? They only had to translate the rest. Um, oh, just the rest, yeah. <laughs> so they did that, and it's a brilliant, and I had nothing to do with it, other than tach, pach, tach, bat. I had nothing to do with it. Um, I mean, it's all my words and my grammar stuff, but they did all the work. Mm -hmm. And it's a brilliant translation because, uh, well, first of all, the vocabulary was not near, Klingon vocabulary was not anywhere near as big as it is now. So they, they all kinds of limitations so that would be very, very clever. Um, but also the parts of Hamlet that are in, in Shakespeare's version in prose are in Klingon prose, but the parts of Hamlet that are in poetry are in Klingon iambic pentameter, right? So it, they, they paid a lot of attention to that. Uh, there's a scene in Hamlet, if you know this, the play, the gravedigger scene, which is you know, the, the one that has, alas, poor York, that one. Mm -hmm. uh, there's these gravediggers. They're, they're, they're digging a grave and talking to each other. In Shakespeare's version, they're talking to each other in a sort of strange kind of English. I guess it's supposed to be a strange kind of Denmark, Danish, because they're in Denmark. But anyway, uh, and it's just one pun after another in the Shakespeare version. So the translators of, uh, or, or the, the, the reconstructors mm -hmm. for Klingon said, okay, we get to this scene, you can't translate puns. So we have to decide if we, do we translate what the grave diggers are saying, which we can do, but then there's no more puns, or do we make up new puns? Uh, and it'll end up meaning something new that the grave diggers are saying. So they had these discussions about what was Shakespeare up to here. And this is the kind of kind of conversation you have anytime you're translating anything, actually. What was Shakespeare up here? What was the point of this scene? Was the point of the scene what the grave diggers are saying? Or was the point of view the jokes, the puns? And they decided that the puns were more important, having puns was more important than, than actually what the, what the grave diggers were originally saying, because this is a scene that kind of lightened things up a little bit, this heavy, heavy story. A, a little bit of, of relief, of comic relief with, with these puns. So they made a brand new dialogue in a strange kind of Klingon of one pun after another. So it fits the scene exactly. So it's a brilliant translation, it's really good. So anyway, they did that, they did much ado about nothing. Uh, they've done some sonnets. Uh, Romeo and Juliet was, was underway, which may or may not be finished by now. It's one scene of it at least has been performed, but I don't know whether, whether any more has. And so on, so on, so on it goes. I mean, of course they opted to keep puns because the people who are fascinated by the Klingon language are people who 
enjoy playing with language and puns are a way of playing with language. That, that, that decision makes perfect sense to me. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. That's true. And, and actually the, the, the playing, the playing with language thing is, is, is really relevant because the Klingon Language Institute meets uh, once a year, actually twice a year, because there's a meeting in the U.S. and a meeting in, in Germany. Uh, the German one is going to have its 20th anniversary uh, this year. It should have been the 21st or 22nd, but hey, you know things got interrupted. Um, and the American one is, 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 is 30 years old. But anyway, if you go to one of these things and just kind of poke your head in a room where people are, are doing whatever it is they're doing, the main thing you're going to hear, obviously you're going to hear people speaking Klingon or learning Klingon and, and, and going and all that stuff. But the main thing you're going to hear is laughing. People are laughing all the time because they're just having a good time with this language and, and with each other. It's, it's, really, it's really something, these, these meetings. It is, in fact, amazing. I have been to a couple of the Klingon cabarets, which they do on Saturday night. Right, right. Um, and I, we, we get a lot of Klingon language people at Starbase Cindy. We've had you as a guest a couple of times. We've had Dr. Schoen. Uh, we very regularly get the Klingon pop warrior. Um, and I, I'm just delighted by our connection with that language. I think it's part of the best of what geeks do is go find something to be fascinated by. Um, I have had the experience personally of hearing Baby Shark sung in Klingon. Yeah. yeah, all, yeah Klingon, Klingons like to sing, of course. I mean, we, we yes, certainly. And we, and we know that because of the TV show, right? Um, and But the, the, the Klingon community here on Earth has, has taken that to extremes because not only is there Klingon opera, but there's, there's Klingon popular music like the Klingon pop warrior sings. And there's there's songs written in Klingon for the Klingon Language Institute, the, the, the Klingon National Anthem or whatever, it's Warrior's Anthem or something. is is a brilliant piece of music that this guy called Captain Crankor uh, wrote for the, for the KLI. It's, you know, wonderful. It's wonderful, wonderful stuff. Indeed. So now you have been to Starbase Indy as a guest a couple of times. What did you like about Starbase Indy? What's fun about Starbase Indy is, is the people, is, is the people who I met there. Uh, because they were, they were fun and interesting, uh, friendly, you know, e easy to talk to, and things like that. So that's, that, that's definitely on the top of the list. But in, in addition to that is, is the stuff that's going on is, is more than just a sort of a, a cavalcade of somebody on stage and then the next, a cavalcade you know, someone on stage and then the next, someone on stage and then the next. There's all kinds of interaction, both in the sessions themselves and out of the sessions. Everyone is, 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 is willing to hang out with you and talk to you and carry on you know, uh, conversations separate from whatever the formal programming is. So it's, it's, it's just a, a, a nice couple of days filled with, with interesting, fun people. What are you working on now? What I'm working on now is nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm choosing my words carefully. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I've worked on some stuff that, that, that may or may not have been on TV yet. So I don't know what I can talk about. The stuff that's already been on, I can talk about. I've, you know, there's there's a lot of new Star Treks these days. Yes. 
mm-hmm. like you know four new shows you know, kind of they're not all on at the same time they kind of rotate around five now five now right right um and i've worked i've worked directly on on four of them and indirectly on on one of them um interestingly enough for star trek discovery which is the the first chronologically the first of the new bunch right um season one of that is was mostly klingons i mean story-wise yeah absolutely and there's a lot of klingon language there's more klingon in in star trek discovery season one than than in any other one thing for sure by a lot and i didn't do any of it (laughs) it's again it's, it's my words and grammar but uh it was done primarily by two excellent, excellent Klingons. Well, not primarily, 100%, but by two excellent Klingon speakers. Primarily Robin Stewart, who, who lives in Canada, in British Columbia. And secondarily by Alan Anderson, who lives in Indiana. Yes, who is part of our volunteer base and is a fantastic and fabulous human. Yes, yeah. So, it has been, uh, he's been volunteering for Starbase Indy and doing things like going to tables at other conventions. And at Gen Con, I was sitting at the table with him and several times people walked up to talk about, they would see his shirt was Klingon and try to tell him the story about the two people who met, who spoke, uh, you know, one spoke German and one spoke English and they only shared Klingon. And he would smile and nod very kindly and say, yeah, that story is apocryphal, but it's a... It's definitely apocryphal. Right. But, you know, and of course, these people have no idea that, no, he's actually, he would know. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But anyway, they they did that. But I worked on Discovery for other languages. I I made up, you know, three or four or five other languages or or bits of languages for Discovery. Kelpian among them, I believe. Mainly Kelpian, right? Saru's language. and that was all, was that all during COVID time? I think so. I think all the stuff I did on, on all these shows mm-hmm. was during COVID time, meaning meaning isolation time. And everything was done over the internet. Everything was done with Zoom or Skype or something. It was fascinating. You know, we would work on a thing. The actors would be in one room and the director's in, a, in an, another city and I'm in another city and we're all connected somehow. It was amazing. It all worked. I had no idea how it would work until I saw it on TV, but it, it all it all worked. Um, so I did that, uh, and similar things, sometimes, sometimes working with the actors, sometimes not, uh, for the other shows. Um, so mostly what I with, with Klingon now is, is, is stuff for the earthbound, uh, Klingon speaking community, you know, for the, for the annual meetings, they send me a list of requests for new words. So we do that all the time and I get other request during the year about you know, somebody says I'm translating something or other how you know, can you help me with this stuff like that so most of the stuff I'm doing about Klingon is, is not for television right now we'll see what happens as things go along and and you know and the, and the fact and the fact that I didn't do discovery you know and in fact there's a a, 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 a general you know the, the Klingon pop warrior I think she did stuff for Prodigy. Yep. Uh, and I'm trying to think anyone else. Well, and Robin, Robin, and maybe Alan too did did stuff for um, 
Picard or, or Strange New Worlds. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, anyway, you know, the fact that they're doing it and I'm not is fine with me uh, in a number of ways. I, I, I kind of take it as, as, a, as an honor, if that's the right word, that, that what I did is, is good enough and, and, and big enough that somebody else can take it and do great things with it. Um, and, I, and I have a, a, a streak of laziness in me, so I'm, I'm <laughs> thrilled <laughs> sometimes not to have to do it. It's, it's, it's fun to do, but it's, 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 it's hard work and it's time-consuming work and it's time-consuming, not so much in the sense that it takes a long time to come up with it, but your time is not your own because you get an email and say, we need tomorrow something or other that you didn't know about two days ago and stuff like that. So. And it's amazing that you have created this thing that has literally taken on a life that you had nothing to do with. And yet, as I understand it, the canon is you are the only person who can add a word to the language. Yeah, and I'm the only person who can who can say this is right and this is wrong. Apparently, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that's not a rule that I came up with. That's that's a rule that the clan speaking community came up with. <laughs> um, it, it's it's okay with me, uh, but it's got to be a temporary okay because because one of these days I'm not going to be here to do it. Um, but 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 for now that's fine. What it does is is it is it. I think it, it helps the language community be be cohesive because if if if, uh, if there was a number of different people doing it, there would be disagreements, um, not necessarily anger, but you know, uh, disagreements, and people would go off in different directions, and some people would do it one way, and some people would do it another way, and that's that's how dialects develop, and that's fine, but I think. Uh, and, and maybe we're at the point now, but, but you need, you need a, a speech community of a certain size before that's okay. Once, when, once there's a lot of people and once there's sort of identifiable factions or subsets or something, then that sort of thing is, is great. And I talk about Klingon dialects, you know, for, for Klingons in outer space, those Klingons, you know, the, the, the way that, that, that the folks in the movies spoke and the way that Worf speaks and all that is, is one kind of Klingon, but there's other parts of the empire they speak a little bit differently. And, talk about that. And actually, there's some people even here on Earth who've learned how to talk different kinds of, of, of movie Klingon dialects, so to speak. Yes, and the language is a little affected by the accent people come into it with as well. It certainly is. <laughs> yeah, you, you can tell there was, a, there was a meeting of the Klingon Language Institute, this is a bunch of years ago, in Las Vegas. Um, and some guy came in who no one knew. Everyone thought they knew everybody, but every once in a while someone will show up who speaks really good Klingon. You, who are you? you know, where did you come from? And this guy came in speaking, and people were soon figured out who it was because he had a little bit of an Australian accent. And then, oh, you're Nick. Okay. Yeah, and these would be folks who would pick up on that. Absolutely. Yeah. And there was a big discussion actually in Germany one time. What one time the American. Uh, uh, meeting of the Klingon languages to, took place in Brussels. All the rest of the time it's been in America. And when I was in Brussels, there was a number of Europeans there. Sure. Sense. Although most of the people, most of the people were Americans. It was interesting. Um, and when I got there, I wasn't there the first day or maybe even the second day, but when I got there, I walked in, they were having a big discussion about how to pronounce a certain sound in Klingon because the Americans said you do it this way and the Europeans, mainly the Germans, said you do it this other way. And they both 
based their 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 position on the fact that in the in the book in the Klingon dictionary it says it, it was the sound which I write with a capital mm-hmm. H. Um, in the book it says this is pronounced like like ch at the end of the composer name Bach. <laughs> Well, the Americans, if they write, if they say Bach, and don't say Bach, right? If they say Bach, they go, which is what I mm-hmm. want. Germans pronounce it the German way, which is Bach. It's softer. So the, the Germans were saying, no, it's that kind of sound. The Americans were saying, no, it's that kind of sound. <laughs> ah! <laughs> we settled it. The Americans were right. Well, no, they weren't right. They weren't right in, in the sense of, of, of right and wrong, but they, they did what I had intended. And it makes sense that there would be that confusion because the Germans were coming at it from a different understanding. How? Right, and and, and based on on what I wrote, right. not based yeah, on yeah. listening. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. It's been fun. You're welcome. You're welcome. Hope we can do this in person one of these days. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for listening to the Starbase Indie Podcast. To find more information about our live event this November, check us out at starbaseindie.org or on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. See you on the Starbase.